Welcome to Talk Story, giving space for stories unheard. I'm your host, Alec Brownridge. Before we kick off the new season of Talk Story, I would like to thank Jacques, Anthony, Emilio, and Martinique for making Talk Story what it is today. Unfortunately, they're off doing other amazing and exciting work. They will always be part of the Talk Story family. The first chapter of the new season is about play. In our current political and social climate, I think play and its importance is much needed now. As our guest explains, play is not always about having fun. Play can also be a tool for communication and healing. I'll let her introduce herself. My name is Erin Guyvers, and I would describe myself as a very young 30-year-old with um, a lot of drive towards social um, connection and playfulness and adventure. That's great. So, as we were talking before about like what speaks to you, and you said play, and play is like a very big part of of everything you do. Yeah. So, tell me about like a particular story or experience about play and why that. Why do you feel like that resonates so much in your life? I think I grew up in a family where things weren't taken very seriously, um, which kind of has like positives and negatives associated with um, with it. But I think I've always felt um, resistant to like routine and a lot of the things that we would describe as, like, adult experiences. Um, and I think, you know, there's one story of my mom that, like, is kind of told as, like, a way to make fun of her and my family. But I also think it's really um, recently made me feel connected to her. And that is that when she was oh, maybe, like, 21 or something like that, she had... Um, you know, was dating my dad, and um, my aunt met her for the first time, and, oh no, I got it wrong, okay, (laughs) (laughs) let me start that over, Um, my mom had had me and my brother, so we were like toddlers, and my aunt met her for the first time, because she was just dating my uncle, and they were all out on a field, like in the grass in Florida, and um, my aunt was a preschool teacher and a preschool director at one point. And so she, like, was really excited to meet us because she was, you know, 20 or something. And she she said to me and my brother, like, do you guys know how to do, like, any flips or cartwheels? And then immediately, just, like, within seconds, my mom was just doing, like, back-to-back cartwheels and, like, flips in the grass. And we were just, like, watching her, like, whoa. And my aunt uses that story as a way to, like, be like, whoa, your mom, you know. She's like, she was definitely the kid in that situation. (laughs) Um, But the more I think about this story, the more I'm like, okay, yeah, like, maybe I am kind of that person in a way. It kind of makes sense for what I'm doing professionally right now in a lot of ways, like, why I went that way. Um, Yeah. It's a story that always comes to my mind when I think about play. Yeah, um, yeah. in terms of just that freedom almost of, like, no inhibitions. Like, mm-hmm. as an adult, just, like, doing cartwheels is not usually something that is uh, 
expected or assumed. Or accepted. Yeah. Accept, or accepted. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so how do you, like, what do you professionally then that allows you to use play? Well, I've always loved working with kids. And my mom also started a home daycare when I was two. And so from when I was two until I was 12, every time I was at home during the day on a weekday, there were like between one and six babies in my living room. And so I got trained like really early on when I came home from school, you know, after like first grade or second grade or third grade to like hold babies and help change babies and play with babies and lead songs and, um, run around, you know, outside on the, you know, playgrounds that we had with, with little kids. And I was also the oldest of all of my cousins and my brothers. So I was always like the ringleader and like what kind of fun we were going to be having that day. And, um, so I just like think it just became a part of me. And then my career is now, um, that I'm a play therapist and it's a type of psychotherapy. So, you know, the difference is it's not really a fun thing and it can be fun, but play therapy in itself isn't fun. Um, it's actually just a way of communicating with kids because that's their language. And I heard it described recently in a really smart way, which is that as a therapist, if I had a client that was Spanish speaking and I didn't know Spanish, if I tried to use English to give them the services they needed, it would fail. And it's the same way with kids because kids aren't going to lie on a couch and tell you about, you know, why their father's treatment of them influences the way they're getting treated, you know, in other aspects of their life. They communicate through play. And so I had to learn the language of play therapy to be able to communicate with them and see exactly what their world is. Um, so that was a really good way of describing it is like, um, using play in a way that is helpful and sometimes really sad, you mm. know, depending on what they're trying to communicate. Yeah. It's interesting because you, as you mentioned, play is not necessarily necessarily be fun. It's a tool of communication as well. Right. Right. Play. I mean, play does allow us to have fun if in cases, but it does. I mean, it's a, it's a way of which we understand the, help understand and interact with the world, right? Mm -hmm. There's like two aspects of play therapy. One is communication. They're communicating something that's happened to them or something they need to express in the playroom. But at the same time, like, just like I've been talking about in my adult life, it's a, a catharsis or a rejuvenating process. Um, of like literally throwing the ball against the wall is like this therapeutic thing that may not be communicating a whole lot, but that doesn't really matter because that's still therapeutic. Um, but yeah, and it's so different from kid to kid to what that play like actually looks like and what it's interesting. It's like a very stimulating type of work. Because you can you can spend like hours thinking about like, wow, like he did this thing, and I'm like really curious about what he's trying to communicate. Um, and sometimes it's blatantly obvious, like this one story that is, has happened in the recent months of this um, child I was seeing whose dad was deported. He um, played out this scene where he was using a dollhouse and all the little 
doll, all the little people in the dollhouse were getting ready for school and the dad was helping them get their teeth brushed and their backpacks and all of that. And the kids go to the bus stop and the dad says like, see you later, bye. And they're like, bye dad. And then like out of nowhere, this shark puppet comes and kills the dad and eats him. So that's kind of an example of like plays communication. It's not like a fun thing for this child to experience or to, to show me, but it's something that they have to do over and over so that their brain, their traumatized brain, can make sense of a very unimaginable event. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, and that's why I come in to help make sense of it. Yeah. And how does, like, talking about just not just communication in therapy, but like, how does that become rejuvenated, right? At least in your, like, what do you find? Well, they have to be accepted for whatever it is they've gone through. So my training is I've learned the language of play therapy. Um, but really, the therapeutic element is the relationship that I have with the child, which is one of unconditional um, regard, positive regard. And so they can be playing out something extremely violent. They could be playing out something extremely violent about me or, you know, about their parent or about them themselves. And as long as they're not physically hurting me themselves or the, the materials in the room, then I'm going to unconditionally give them positive regard for that um, over and over and over therapeutically until they feel like what they've gone through is an, is an okay thing and they're an okay... They've survived that and they... Um, can form a healthy relationship even though they've been through kind of unimaginable things that they may have thought were their fault or mm. you know been told that they were their fault so yeah yeah that's really interesting because yeah because it's, as it's your your responsibility in a sense to create that that safe space to get yes. to yeah. to continue to play these things out Mm-hmm. Right, where you're not being not being judged for for doing that, not being reprimanded for not getting over it so quickly, right? Right. Like, mm-hmm. like, um, in our society and in the world in general, right now, you have this idea that you know, you know, you have to get moved forward. Right. right. And, and unfortunately, what happens is if a child is told they need to get over something, they stuff it really deep inside, and that's, you know, very related to future drug use or you know unhealthy relationships or other things because something that was true about them, like their truth was told that it was too ugly and so they have to hide it away and it comes out in other ways. Mm-hmm. So I think play therapy is like an amazing tool to be like what you've seen and been through is really ugly and I 100% accept you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do yoga for kids though mm-hmm. and I find that to be an interesting balance between like super fun play and like kind of serious work with the kids. You can probably relate to that. Yeah. How do you like what, like how do you do yoga with kids and how? Do it's you... way different. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot of singing involved. I do a lot of singing. I can sing several poses that I heard. I've heard in various YouTube videos, but I've also made up songs for poses. Um, Happy to sing any. Yeah, if you, hey, hey, give us something. Give me a song. Okay, let me think. Um, I'm going to have to do it while I 
because it makes more sense. Right. Is but, this okay? That, that's, that's okay, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So, for tree pose, stand on one strong leg. Take one foot and put it on that leg. My knee points out to the side of me. Hands together to enjoy the tree. And then we talk about growing the branches <laughs> and what kind of tree you are and how sometimes trees blow in the wind and that's okay. And sometimes trees fall over and that's okay. And we fall over on purpose sometimes because it's fun and we can get back up again. So that's an example, but um, depending on the age, it looks very different. Like I mainly teach between three and seven. And so it's a lot of games and songs and, um, you know, we use a lot of the same elements. We do a lot of breathing, but all the breathing is funny mm. or silly. So like, yeah, I have lots of like 30 types of breathing in my head right now. <laughs> but like a lot of them are related to animals. <laughs> yeah. Even, even I, you like, a, yeah. like line, line lion's breath. breath. Yeah. That's the best. That's great for kids. They love yeah, that. <laughs> they can really, and we, we actually bring them back into anger and talk about ways of releasing anger through lion's breath too. Mm -hmm. Um, or volcano pose, which I don't think is actually related to an adult pose. Volcano pose. So could you describe this? <laughs> volcano pose is when you start in like a yogi squat mm. and then you count down and then you explode into a, like a starfish. starfish. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. So I'm we do that three times if we need to release some anger. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's very different, but we use the singing bowl. We use all sorts of tools. We use um, the Hoberman sphere, sphere ball that's, you know those balls that are made out of plastic that are really small and you, oh, you, you open them and they get really big? Yeah. Yeah. We use those to talk about diaphragmatic breathing and belly breathing. Mm. So it's really, really fun. And I've worked extensively with kids that have experienced trauma in yoga and it's really cool to see how they transition from like not quite sure about it to like this is super important and helpful to their everyday life. We do meditation and I've made three-year-olds meditate for um, like five to ten minutes before. Like in Shavasana. Mm. <laughs> and I have a song for that too. <laughs> <laughs> song for everything. Yeah, exactly. I really do have a song for everything. <laughs> and singing is a coping mechanism too. And I have this like incredible memory of well, two things. One, when I was like 23, I was in India and I climbed up the Himalayas and it was like the most difficult thing I'd ever done up to that point. And like about three hours in, I just like the only way I could like get through the pain was through singing. So I just started singing like every song I think of, like a lot of Beatles, a lot of songs from Oh Brother Where Art Thou, <laughs> things like that. Um, and then I was facilitating something called adventure therapy at the camp that I've worked at through my nonprofit. And there's this high ropes course element, which is an 80, let me think, 84 feet off the ground or something, this rope or metal rope wire, something very sturdy. Um, and it's about 200 feet across and it's on a canyon. So when you walk across it, you're in the middle of a canyon, but you're strapped in, so it's not, it looks like tightrope walking, but the difference is instead of having like a stick or whatever people use for tightrope walking, you're hooked into equipment. So if your feet slip, then you just hang there and you get back on. Mm. But this, I remember this girl 
was a teenager. She was at an alternative high school, and they were doing a field trip out there for adventure therapy with us. And she got halfway through, and she was, like, almost... I mean, you could tell she was about to have, like, a nervous breakdown. She was crying and, like, starting to hyperventilate. And we were giving her tips from each side of the canyon. And then she just, like, broke into song and, like, sang all the way across. How did you how did you get into play therapy? Like what was like how did you find yourself in this field of life? I knew I always wanted to work with kids and I was really interested in art and how that would be working with kids. So I did a couple of I took a couple of different jobs where I was either teaching art to kids or facilitating art projects or directing I was like an art director at a camp. Um and I really enjoyed that, but I always found myself drawn to, like, the one kid in the class who was struggling. And I remember I was working at an art camp at a sculpture park in St. Louis. Amazing place. And I did it for a couple summers, and I remember this one kid, um, we were on a walk or something to a sculpture to sit down and talk about the sculpture and eat lunch. And he just, um, I think he just turned to me and said something to the degree of, like, I'm going to karate chop you or something. Like he was so, you could tell he's had so much in his little body. He was six to like release. And I just wanted to, I was just like, yes, like I just want you to be able to do that. But it's me and 14 other kids and, you know, an assistant teacher. And like we're in the middle of a park and that's not an acceptable behavior for you to karate chop me right now. <laughs> Nor would it be in the playroom, but like giving him options. I knew like then when I was young, but I wanted to kind of move towards mental health services as opposed to education or art education because I just didn't think it did enough because I didn't really care about the art in itself. I wanted it to be like a tool for someone to make their life better. And so then I found out that I had a second cousin who was an art therapist, so I went to go visit her, and I watched one of her sessions, which I'm surprised was allowed. But <laughs> that what. It was like a, a child who was blind and they were making a memory box. I think someone had died in his life and they were making a memory box and he was using all these different art materials to decorate it. Um, but he was using, you know, sensory, like his hands to figure it out. That was really cool. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to become an art therapist. And I signed up for, or I applied to a master's program and I got put on the wait list because it's like a tiny program. I think they accept like eight a year or something like that. And they also gave me incredible feedback and were like, we think that you you are amazing on paper, but that you just got out of undergraduate and you need a lot more life experience to be able to like do the work that you want to do in this mm -hmm. field. And so I took that and I ran with it and I traveled for a long time. And I did all these different seasonal jobs in different parts of the U.S. And I went to India and I did all these other things. And then my best friend told me about social work and I was like, oh, there's like this whole field for like using creative expression to help people, but I don't have to, like, do it just through this one art passageway. Mm -hmm. I can do it and just get a social work degree and then be able to, like, adapt that to whatever I want to do. And then I found this organization that uses seven different types of therapies to help children. So, and we work from 3 to 18, so it's, like, vast. Mm -hmm. It's, like, like, so yeah. What do, you, what do you see play in your personal life? Like, what... Obviously. Probably the most travel but also 
meeting new people and like hosting events that are playful and creative, um, getting to know people in a way that isn't the normal way or like the standard adult way of just shaking a hand and asking what they do for work, you know? Um, like even a dance party would be my, I mean, that I would consider that a play. Um, I think storytelling is a form of play. Karaoke is definitely a form <laughs> of play. Um, anything that's like outside and naturey is a form of play. So I think that's all really important for getting to know my friends and my partner and family. Um, but I think my ultimate play is travel and I get really, I get really down when I don't have it. Last summer I was, or last winter I was really depressed. And I, like to a level that I've never experienced before. And I think, you know, it's probably related to just working in this field and getting what's called vicarious trauma from like hearing other people's trauma stories. But anyway, I was really depressed and my friends, my friend Papa planned like a giant camping trip with like, I mean, I think he invited 50 people and he like reserved a place that could hold 50 people. <laughs> and I think it ended up being like 25 or 30 people. And I kid you not, like I was depressed for like probably three or four months, went to that for 24 hours and came back and had ne and never has not, have not felt that depressed since that happened, which was like a year ago. It like completely shifted my perspective and it was really cold and like, it was like probably 29 the whole night. It was like really cold. There was ice on our tent in the morning, but it just completely shifted my feelings. Like it just did something to my body chemistry, the nature and the being cut off from electronics and being with 30 people, half of whom I knew really well and half who I'd never met before or like didn't know very well. So once again, like play has like come through. I just, I think that I'm still searching for like a balance between play and then the things that I'm obligated to do. And like how do you balance those out and like live your best life. The Talk Story team is Abe El-Rahib, filmmaker, photographer. And I'm Alec Browridge, your host and producer. Talk Story is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Talk Story Show. Check out our website, talkstoryshow.com. Mahalo.